here. We're honored again that you're with us. We're grateful to those of us who are who joining us on the website. It is going to be a terrific day. Thank you to the I Empathize crew. Give it up for them. It's a perfect way to start the day. Praising the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be a great day. The other perfect way to start the day, of course, is going to be with prayer. And it is my honor and pleasure to introduce to you Bishop Michael Sheridan, who has been the bishop of the Colorado Springs Catholic Diocese since January of 2003. The bishop is a well-respected teacher of faith and has served on several committees of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, otherwise known as the USCCB, and he is also a part of their task force on the life and dignity of the human person. I can't think of anyone better to start us out in prayer. Bishop, please join us. Welcome the bishop. Let us pray. God of all times and places, you have brought us to the beginning of this new day. Surround us now with your all-embracing love and grant that this day we not turn aside to sin nor be overcome by adversity, but let our thoughts, words, and deeds in some small way make for the coming of your kingdom on earth. We pray, Lord, for those who have <clears throat> fallen victim to hatred and injustice, for those loved ones who are left behind to mourn, and for the souls of those hearts that are cold. We pray for the children who are being born into a world of conflict and violence, and we pray for their mothers, their fathers who suffer so much. We pray for the unemployed, for those who long to return to work, and for all those who struggle to support their families. We pray for all the children who have died before their time. We pray for all those who are forgotten or ignored in our world. O oh God, open our eyes that we may see the needs of others. Open our ears that we may hear their cries. Open our hearts that we may feel their anguish and their joy. Let us not be afraid to defend the oppressed, the poor, the powerless, because of the anger and might of the powerful. Show us where love and hope and faith are needed and use us to bring them to those places. Open our ears and eyes, our hearts and lives, that we may, in the days to come, be able to do the work of justice and life and peace for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. Well, again, good morning. We're so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Kelly Rosati, and I'm the Vice President of Community Outreach at Focus on the Family. Focus is so honored to be able to partner with New Life Church and Children's Hope Chest, and I empathize to bring you this conference today. It is our goal to inspire, educate, and equip all of us to make a difference, to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to be a voice for the voiceless. It is my great honor to introduce to you our first speaker of the morning, who is very well known to many of you, I suspect. Pastor Brady Boyd is an incredible communicator, gifted teacher, and he has a passion for practical and relevant message 
that equip and inspire, just like we were talking about. How perfect. Pastor Brady, as you know, pastors this church, New Life Church, and I just want to say a personal thanks to him. He has been such a blessing in my life and my family's life, and I know in the lives of so many of us here in Colorado Springs. Thank you, Pastor Brady. As you know, uh, some of you may know, he is married to Pam and is the father of Abram and Callie, and he enjoys, I didn't know this, Pastor Brady, golf, hunting, fishing, but I knew this part, spending lots of time with his family. So please welcome Pastor Brady Boyd. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. I'm going to grab this uh, podium right here. I might play the harmonica, though. This thing's, uh, I noticed, think I should try that? All right, I won't, though. All right. That could really ruin a perfectly good morning, you know what I'm saying? Good to see all of you. I'm glad you're here. This is a, this is a morning that we've really looked forward to as a church and as a family, as a fellowship. And um, it was a real privilege to be asked to just share for a few minutes. I'm not the expert on this topic, so I'm going to make way for the experts really soon. But I wanted to share from a church perspective, a local fellowship perspective this morning, of why justice is such a big deal. And I'm, I'm, my prayers, I was praying this morning, I, was, I, I think I got up earlier than normal for a Saturday morning, and sitting alone in my office this morning at home, I was just praying, asking God to kind of, what, what is the thing, what is the takeaway, what is the big idea that we should all take away this morning? And for me, at least the part that I'm going to play in this story today is to, my desire is to awaken the local church, awaken us to the idea of justice in life and what it means to be a defender. And I want to read a scripture to you out of Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is a, a psalm, if you're familiar with it, 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 David is talking about God, Yahweh, God omnipotent. And he's, and he's doing the best he can and through human words and human attitudes to describe who God is. And look, look at verse 5 with me. We're going to read verse 5 and 6 out of the New King James Version. It says, A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. In other words, the, God is in his very nature, in his very core of who he is. He's a defender, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. That God sets the solitary in families. In other words, he takes those who have been marginalized, those who have been separated from family, and brings them into family. And he says he... He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. It's an amazing attribute of God that sometimes we overlook when we talk about God. We know that God is love and God is peace and God's the source of joy. He is joy. But many times we lose the character and nature of God, but we forget he's a defender. He's a father. I'm a dad. I have a, as Kelly said, I have a son named Abram who's 12 and a daughter named Callie who's 10. And today, Abram will be practicing nunchucks for the first time in Taekwondo, so please pray for the, those around him and himself. I was just thinking about that. It just dawned on me that today is nunchuck day. And uh, so I hope they give him the big foamy ones, the big foamy handles, you know, the ones that, the Nerf ones. That's what I hope he starts off with. And I have a little girl, who, Callie, who's 10, who she's uh, the only girl on her basketball team, she plays on a boys' basketball team, and I pay her for fouling. And, and this is must be shocking to many parents, but she's by far the strongest and toughest person on the team. And so I've, I've actually had to kind of scale back a little bit on that because she's hurting the boys. But, uh, but I was thinking about my family, Pam and Abram and Callie. My wife, of Pam, we've been married almost 22 years. We got married when we were 12, which is not uncommon for people in Louisiana. But, um, but, he, uh, but we... we, we I was just thinking, if someone were to harm or to attempt to harm my family, I wouldn't think twice about defending them. I'm the dad of the house. I own a Glock. I wouldn't mind defending my family. I think scripturally, dads should defend their families. 
But somehow when we become Christians and come to the local fellowship, that all just kind of shuts off. This idea of defending, of standing alongside, of being the strength of someone who can't defend themselves. In fact, one time I was, uh, it was, I was early on, I've been at New Life now three and a half years, and so early on when I was here as a pastor, in fact, I, I told the people that brought me here as a pastor that I will not pastor a church that's not a James 127 church. If you're not interested in widows, orphans, the poor, then I'm not interested in being the pastor of this fellowship because that's who I am in my core. It's, it's the scripture that God used to birth something in me as a young man, and, I, and I'm, I'm determined to live that out in my life. And so the first time I mentioned that, out of the pulpit out of, uh, at New Life Church, I had a guy after the church, and this is a good guy, he's a very nice guy, but he walks up to me, and this is exactly what he says, he said, Pastor Brady, don't lead us into all that stuff, just preach Jesus to us. And I mean, literally, it's like the air came out of my lungs, I looked at him and I went, what? He said, don't, don't, don't get us involved with all the, that stuff, the, those, the widow stuff, the orphan stuff, just don't, don't get us distracted by that. Just preach Jesus to us. <laughs> uh, I looked at him and I said, well, I don't know about what Bible you're reading, but the Bible I read, Jesus told a great story about a good Samaritan who was on his way on a perfectly normal day and found a guy in a ditch who had been beaten up and robbed, who was defenseless. And Jesus told the story of this Samaritan going over and taking this guy and taking him to a hotel and actually paying for his hotel and paying for him to have medicine and left some extra money behind in case he needed extra care. I mean, I've, that's just one story. Can I tell you some more? Jesus stories? <laughs> and I, I, it, it surprises me sometimes how often we just dismiss the very part of God that's mentioned so often in Scripture. When I was... Uh, I was trying to think when God really awakened this me, and I can, I can tell you pretty quickly. I think when I was 14 or 15, I was 15, I was uh, a freshman at a high school in East Texas. Now, for those of you who are from East Texas, you know that East Texas and North Louisiana is the mecca of redneck kingdom. I mean, every, every redneck in the world is required to go to East Texas and North Louisiana at least once in their life before they die. It's, it's, it's a required of them because that's where it all started. It's the mecca. It's the holy grail of redneck and uh, so I grew up in this this uh school out in the middle of nowhere country school in East Texas and as a freshman well we had a really good high school baseball team this place that I'm talking about and so about halfway through the I was on the junior varsity team but about halfway through the baseball season we uh, a group of seniors got mad at the coach and all quit the team which left like six or seven spots open on the, on the varsity team, and I got called. I was one of the ones they said, well, you come play with the varsity then. And so I was right away as a freshman. I was a starting center fielder on this baseball team, and we were always in the playoff. We were a really good baseball team. So I find myself the starting center fielder. I'm a, I'm a freshman on this baseball team. Well, and, and it was fun. I was, I was excited about it, but this, this school was known for their hazing. I mean, when you're a freshman at this school, you were just going to be hazed for a year. And I'm not talking about cute little hazing, paddle hazing. I'm talking about serious hazing. In fact, this is how awkward. It, I was thinking I, I could own all of their property right now if it were 2011. I mean, the things that happened to me were just lawsuit city. For example, they auctioned us off as slaves. They made us come up on the stage, and they actually bid on us. And whoever bid the highest, like slaves, they bought us for the week, and they literally were earn, buying the right to torture us for a week. And they were really, the, the school principal, the teachers, didn't care what they did to us, basically. I mean, they did, and, and, and I was about a buck 25. I was a little guy. 
Now, I have since gained about 10 pounds. But back then, back then I was about 125 pounds, so I was about five-something. I was little, tiny. But I, but I was feisty, you know. But, but um, I remember that day, one afternoon after baseball practice, um, the coach, for some reason, got called to the gym or something and left all of us behind to gather up all the equipment after practice. And so I was there, and as a freshman, obviously, you know who had to tote the bag up the hill to, with all the equipment in it? I, that was me. I was a freshman. So I, here I am, 5'4", 5'5", 120, 125 pounds, with a big bag of baseball equipment on my back, and I'm walking up the hill, and suddenly a group of those seniors, those who did not quit, who were mad at me for taking their friend's spot in center field, they grabbed me from behind, and they put a rope around my neck. Now, two of them held my hands behind my back. Two of them grabbed the rope with the rope around my neck, and they drugged me for about 50 feet, 50, uh, 60 feet up a hill. And I thought my neck was going to break because I could not hold the rope. My hands were behind my back. I'm being drugged by my neck with this rope around my neck. And they're dragging me up the hill. And there are three or four of them on me. There's nothing I can do. I'm a little guy that's defenseless. And so when they let go of me, I had a rope mark all the way around my neck, like I'd, like I'd been hung, because that's really what had happened to me. I'd, I thought I was going to die. It's the first time in my life I ever really felt I'm going to die. And here I am with this big red rope mark around my neck, and I'm a freshman. I'm humiliated. They're laughing at me. I'm, I'm trying. You know, I'm not crying. I'm holding it back. Uh, but it was painful and embarrassing. So I went home that a- afternoon, and my dad, uh, my dad's gone now. He's in heaven. But my dad was kind of a man's man. You know, he was a guy that taught me to shoot hunt, fish. I was shooting guns when I was eight or nine years old, riding horses with hatchets and knives. I was a Tom Sawyer. I was Huckleberry Finn. That was, when I read that book, I didn't think it was that big a deal. I mean, we all thought we, everybody did that. So, my, so I grew up in that environment, you know, the redneck man environment. And I remember going home and I remember putting my collar up around my neck because I didn't want my dad to see it. And I don't know if you've ever been bullied, but uh, it's embarrassing and shameful and humiliating. And especially as a, a young man who didn't want my dad to know that I'd been mistreated. I remember just putting a collar around my neck, hoping that it would heal. You know, how you think when you're 15, uh, your frontal lobe is not developed, and so you don't make really good choices. And so I was thinking this, he'll never see it. And it's going to be, it'll take about a month to heal, but he'll never see it. Well, later that night, I think I was after a bath or a shower or whatever, and I was walking down the hall, and my dad saw it. Son, come here. I'll never forget the word. Son, come here. What's that on your neck? What happened? So I looked at him and I just told him the story. You know, there was no need hiding it, covering it at that point. So I said, Dad, you know, I was told him the story. And he looked at me. I can remember him not saying much. He just kind of looked at me and said, well, you're not going to go to school tomorrow. I'm going to go to school. All right. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. You know? So he, uh, he did. I stayed home that day. Actually, I think I went to school. I, I, I did. I went to school after lunch because I had baseball practice. And, but that morning, I stayed home. My dad went to school. I, to this day, I don't know what happened at school. I don't. My dad wouldn't tell me. And nobody really wanted to confess what happened. But all I know is when I got there at lunch, uh, I went from being the punk freshman who everybody punched on to nobody wanting to be anywhere near me. I could walk down the hall and literally like waves of people would part. I had this newfound authority, felt protected. That coach, I was never bothered again the rest of the school year, never bothered again, period. Coach made sure of that because my dad defended me. 
And I was 15 years old, and you can't imagine as a 15-year-old knowing that your dad will defend you, how much courage and confidence and how much of the insecurity that I had in my heart, how much of that broke off of me at that point. I I can honestly tell you that, that that was not the end of my insecurity or the end of me being threatened maybe, but it was a beginning of something that God was doing in my heart. He awakened me to the idea that now, not only did I have a dad in the natural who wanted to defend me, my dad in the natural could not guarantee me a safe existence on the earth, free from problems, and neither can God guarantee any of us in this room today that we're going to be free from persecution, even death maybe, but what God has promised to defend is something that's eternal. God is the defender of our soul. He's the defender of our heart. He's the defender of our emotions. While our physical bodies may be subjected to persecution, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I've overcome it. The soul, what's most important about us, he will defend. We're in the palm of his hand. We just sang this song that we're in the palm of his hand. I love that part. Nothing, no... No scheme of man, no power of hell can take us from the palm of his hand. I was thinking, we just came out of the season of the Advent, you know, where we're celebrating the arrival, the grand invasion of Jesus on the earth, who came fully God, fully human in baby form. And I was thinking about how God himself, when he sent the angel Gabriel to Mary and said, Mary, I'm about to conceive something in your womb. It's going to be by the Holy Spirit that I'm going to conceive something in the womb. He was... God was leaving heaven, the glory of heaven, of which many of us will see one day. And, and, and he left the glory, came into our mess, but he didn't enter as this warrior king, soldier, as some thought he would. Some people thought, some Jewish scholars, Jewish teachers of the day thought that the Messiah, Yeshua, Christ the Messiah, would show up as this warrior king and set all things right, deliver Israel from Roman oppression and just set all things right. Instead, that's not how God arrived. God arrived in the womb of this scared teenage girl. Now think about this for a minute. God was in the vulnerable womb of a woman. God entered into the womb, the place that, where life happens, where life grows, where life comes to pass. God entered the womb, and Mary had to defend the womb herself. Mary Mary had to take care of herself. Mary had to make sure that this baby that was, from, that was God from the Holy Spirit was able to grow. Mary had to eat right. Mary had to make sure that she wasn't doing dangerous things. Just like every pregnant woman has to make sure that the baby has, has the ability to grow and has the opportunity to be, to be born. Mary was the defender of God in the womb. And then suddenly on that glorious night when Jesus is born... If you want to know the battle that was raging in the spiritual realm around the birth of this baby, read Revelation 12. And in Revelation 12, it says that the serpent was right there ready for when that baby was born, he was there to devour the baby and take away the hope of the world. Instead, angels were appearing. In fact, nowhere in Scripture are there, is there a higher concentration of angelic visitations and angelic encounters than it was at the birth of Jesus. All throughout the Bible, we hear of angels appearing and talking to humans and having conversations with humans, but nowhere do we see the high concentration of angelic spiritual forces appearing to humanity as we do at the birth of Jesus because God was coming forth. God, now God came, and so here's God now. He's out of the womb. He's in the hands of Mary and Joseph, but he's still not the warrior king deliverer, is he? He's this baby, fragile, 
baby. I just saw a baby back here a minute ago, nine days old, sitting out here somewhere. And this little fragile little baby, little, their neck still not strong enough to hold up their head, their little, little head with a little cap on them. And they need a mom. The mom holding the baby close because it's fragile. It's Jesus, God. And then Joseph, Joseph gets this dream, has this dream. And in the dream, an angel appears to him and says, Joseph, take Jesus to Egypt. He's being threatened. He's in danger. Joseph, the father, had to defend him. Had to obey. He had to hear God. He had to take steps. If Joseph had stayed, if Joseph had disobeyed, I, I assume and I would guess that those angels probably would have come and done the work of human beings, but that was not God's intention. God's intention was for us as humanity to step forward and do our part. And God was certainly there. God was certainly present. The Holy Spirit was powerful and present, but God needed us to do our part, to, do our, to take our role. So here we are today. We've got human beings being trafficked. There's, there's children being exploited. There's slavery that's happening. There's more slaves on the earth now than maybe ever before. And the church lies dormant, docile, not awakening to the cause. And when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about yelling at the darkness. And I, today, part of the conversation that we're going to have today, and I think it's going to come out in every speaker that you're going to hear, I assume this, is that there has to be a new, there has to be something new birthed in the body of Christ for us to make a difference. I am not a pastor who yells at the darkness. And I've been invited many times to be on panels or discussions or to do media interviews. And what they're asking me to do is to, to, they want to know what I'm against. They want to know why I'm opposed to something. They want me to yell at the darkness. I'm not going to yell at the darkness. The only solution to the darkness is to shine lights. It's to be light, to be salt, to be kind. So instead of me yelling at the darkness, I'm going to build dream centers. Instead of me yelling at the darkness, I'm going to take care of the single moms, the widows, the orphans. Instead of yelling at the darkness, I'm going to encourage families to adopt orphans into their homes. Instead of yelling at the darkness, I'm going to come around single moms or, or pregnant teenagers who are scared and don't know what to do, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be encouraging. I'm going to be helpful. I'm going to be hopeful. I'm going to give them, I'll show them that there's hope. For every situation, there's not a hopeless situation on the earth. Not one single situation is a hopeless situation if you are a Christ follower. That's the message. There's nothing that's hopeless. So this morning as we, and throughout the afternoon as we have conversations and discussions, I'm, I believe what you're going to walk away with today is a new ideology maybe. This humility and compassion, this I believe you can be humble and compassionate, and that's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. Because the easy option is to oppose something. The difficult option is to serve something, to love somebody that's not lovable. Come along some, beside someone who still smells like alcohol and cigarettes and the streets. That's hard. That's messy. That takes a lot more commitment than just to stand up and yell at the darkness. In fact, yelling at the darkness is the easy way out. And I'm just calling our church. I cannot speak for every church, but I, I can tell you this, that the pastors that I know in this city, there's an awakening happening in many, many, many local fellowships in our city. A new day is dawning. I believe we are light and salt, and the new voice that you're going to hear from the local fellowships, the church leaders is in this city, I believe, 
will be one of hope and kindness, compassion, and strength. God's given us amazing resources, and our resources are human resources. Together, we can, we can bring a lot of hope to our city and to our world if we would all just shine the light. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a really dark place. I mean, a really dark place. I remember the darkest night I've ever experienced was in Africa one time. We were in a tent out in the bush. And so the people who owned this campsite said, now, at 12 midnight, the generators are going to go off. And don't come out of your tent. You know, you'll get eaten. And so I thought that was a, a fair promise. And I, I didn't want to test that, you know. And so I remember, though, have you ever been to Africa? Out, I mean, there's no street lights. There was nothing. When the lights went off, literally, you could put your hand like this, and I did it. You know, I was like that 12-year-old. I was doing this. Dark. It was dark. But one little light, just some glimmer of light, can light the whole tent up. Listen, it doesn't take thousands of people to make a difference here in the city. It just takes a few of us. Shine the light. Quit yelling at the darkness. Let's awaken our hearts to this compassion, this love. Let's be defenders. Let's be fathers to the fatherless. Let's be defenders of widows. Let's set the lonely into families. All right, so here's my last challenge for you today. And this is something that I'm going, I've been thinking about. God has just put on my heart time and time again. I believe if I were to poll each of you that are watching online or, or sitting here today, if I were to give you an individual poll and, and ask you, do you really want to see people who don't know Christ come to know Christ? All of us would say yes, right? I mean, we'd all want people who don't know Christ to know Christ. I don't think many of us would say, nah, we all want that. Can I tell you how a very simple strategy, it's a very simple thing, it's simple yet very complex. Can I challenge you even in this room today, those of you sitting around, those of you that are watching online, maybe you're watching online right now with your small group, maybe you're in some church auditorium watching this online, can I give you a big, huge challenge today as we... We talk about these things today. I'm going to give you a big challenge. You cannot invite people into the family if the family does not exist. And the reason that we're not seeing a lot of these orphans and widows, those who have been marginalized, the reason they're not coming in and being a part of this fellowship, and I'm not talking about corporations, I'm not talking about monolithic megachurches, I'm talking about church family, I'm talking about the family, the fellowship. The reason they're not coming in and finding their place is because the family really doesn't exist. We're dysfunctional in the way we interact with one another. And so when they come, they see the same dysfunction among us that they see in the streets. Same dysfunctions they see at the homeless shelter they see inside the church. And so I believe that one of the, one of the biggest challenges we have as Christ followers is to make sure we're living an authentic family together. And once we form family among us, then they'll want to come be a part of the family. We can't invite people into the family if the family doesn't exist. So I'm calling us today to be family to love one another sincerely, to encourage one another deliberately, to come alongside one another and to give each other grace for our shortcomings. And by the way, it is messy to be family, isn't it? We just came out of the holidays. Some of you are still recovering from your holiday trips to see family because families can be messy, difficult. But we're called a family, aren't we? We're called into the family. So this morning, my prayer... As you hear these speakers, I hope this is not just another conference where you hear a lot of information and you walk away full of information but very little revelation. I pray today that God would speak to each of you and give you a moment today where your heart is awakened, where your eyes are open, where my eyes are open, where my heart comes alive. 
I pray today that you would embrace family first so that we can be fathers to the fatherless, where we can set the lonely into families, so that we can be a defender of the widows. And I pray that we would stop yelling at the darkness and start being the light. We'd walk in the light that God's already awakened in our heart. Our hearts are full of life and light. Let that come forth in our conversations. Let that come forth in our words. Let it come forth in our actions. But I pray today that we all would engage, that everybody sitting here this morning and everyone watching online would get in the game, would say yes to doing their part, that they would play their role in the story. Right now, there's injustice all over the world. Christ said, the scriptures say that there is a new heaven and a new earth coming. And that we're to be a part of the new heaven and a new earth. And in this place, this new heaven and this new earth, there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more dying. But we're caught in the chasm of time between the cross and the new heaven and the new earth. And here we are, we're all walking toward this expectancy. There's this growing expectancy in all of us that the new heaven and the new earth is coming our way and we're walking toward it and it's coming toward us. In the meantime, we're walking past those who are, are being exploited and just like the Good Samaritan, we have a choice today. We can be the religious per- person who ignored the person in the ditch and kept walking or actually walked around the problem or we can be the Good Samaritan who stops and engages the problem even when it is inconvenient to our time and our schedule. This is what God's calling us to this morning. To walk toward the new heaven and the new earth, but not ignore those in the ditch on the way. We're walking toward the thing that's going to, where all injustice will end, but along the way, we're going to pass people in the ditch. And God's calling us to stop and get engaged, to do it. Get get messy. Can I pray for us this morning? I'm so grateful to have an opportunity to kind of cast big picture. I hope I did this morning. I hope you see where we're going now, where we're headed throughout this day. I hope these are the conversations you have out in the hall or in your, at lunch. I hope these are the conversations that, that you have in months and years ahead. And I pray that Christ is forming this in your heart like he is in mine. So let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you are our advocate. You are our defender. Lord, when we were helpless and alone, when we could not defend ourselves, you defended us. You are the guardian of our soul. We are the sheep of your pasture. You are the shepherd of our souls. Father, we make our plans, but you direct our steps. So I pray today in these conversations and these talks, Lord, that you would guide us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I pray, Lord, that you would put your hand upon us, that you would awaken our hearts. I pray that we, our eyes, our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, our spiritual mind would be awakened, Lord, that we would not walk past the person in the ditch and ignore the obvious opportunities that are in front of us. Lord, I pray today that we would catch the heart of a father, hearts of moms in this room would awaken, sons and daughters would take their place in the kingdom today. Father, I pray that we would become family so that when others come and they're alone and they're hurt, they're marginalized, Lord, I pray that there would be a family that we could invite them into. Father, I pray today that you would create in us a pure heart, a clean heart. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing among us. Lord, give us eyes to see what you're doing on the earth and help us to simply cooperate with you, to come alongside you. Father, fill all of us with the Holy Spirit. Continually fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you, guys.
Thank you, Pastor Brady. Pastor Brady knows what it is to live this being family that he talked about today. And uh, for those of you who want to know a little bit more about that, I'm excited to tell you he's got a book coming out called Fear No Evil. And uh, you'll be able to read a little bit about how this particular family here at New Life Church uh, has been doing the very things that he just described. So thank you, Pastor Brady. You know, it's so exciting here at the Life and Justice Conference. This, by the way, is our very first one of these. So thank you. You're here for something brand new. Yeah, give him, do that. That's awesome. And as we thought about all of us who've been working on this, life and justice, we got so excited because we know that every human being is made in the image and likeness of Almighty God. And that it is because of his love that he cares so much about each and every life. And we know that that admonition and that passion for life applies to those in the womb. It applies to the vulnerable at the end of life. And it applies at all points in between. It applies to that victim of trafficking that you're going to hear about. It applies to the orphan who is alone and cries herself to sleep at night wanting a daddy to come. It applies to those precious with special needs who are among us and in our families and who have so much to teach us about the love of God and about his passion for life and for justice. So there is so much more to come today. We are going to take uh, a 15-minute break. We want you right back in your seats, if you would, in 15 minutes. Those of you who are joining us online, go ahead and grab your coffee and then get back to the computer. And we're going to hear when we get back from Tom Davis, who is the head of Children's Hope Chest, and I will introduce him at the time. But I have a few housekeeping things to tell you today. Uh, Raise your hand up in the air if you have an iPhone with you or some other mechanism by which you can tweet. Come on, raise them up. All right. We need you folks to be tweeting throughout the day, and our hash mark, as I learned from Pastor Brady this morning at his bright and early tweet, is LJCon, as in Life and Justice Conference. So do it. Go ahead and tweet. It would be awesome. We want to get the word out about this movement that is birthing for life and for justice. Text or call your friends to come and join us for the day or for the free empathy encounter that's going to come tonight. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that and give you some sneak previews throughout the day. So go ahead and take a break, and we'll see you back here in 15 minutes. Thanks.